0: Consider this, 100% of owners will leave their business one day, but few are prepared. Are you? Don't worry, you're in the right place with this podcast, Succession Stories. Host Lori Barkman, the Business Transition Sherpa, guides you from transition to transaction, from building value in your business to letting go. Lori is a business transition and M&A advisor, specializing in growth, acquisitions, and selling owner-led companies. She's also the author of the Business Transition Handbook. Get your copy and learn how to avoid succession pitfalls and create valuable exit options. Sign up for our Business Transition newsletter at SuccessionStories.com. Show us the love by subscribing to the show and posting a review. We appreciate you. Now, here's this week's Succession Stories with Lori Barkman. How can we be better equipped for the emotional nature of succession planning? Regina Beatty is an advisor with the financial planning group, Heritage Financial Consultants. Her area of expertise includes succession and coordinated legacy planning for business owners and their families. She has helped many clients prepare and transition their businesses to the next owner, especially when the family dynamics get complex. How can you minimize the tax bite while creating incentives to retain your top talent? We talked about 13 ways to take money out of your business. We also discussed how emotional succession and exit planning can be and ways to create a smooth and orderly transition of the business into your retirement. Enjoy this episode about ownership succession, why it's hard to walk away financially, and what to do about it with Regina Beatty. Regina, welcome to Succession Stories. We are hearing so much about Succession in the news lately. I know New York Times is doing pieces on it. There's companies that are having Succession. Every day, it seems, it's in the news. And of course, is the HBO Succession in its last season. It's a topic that's emotional. It's financial. You're a great person to have on the show to dive into this topic. So welcome. Thank you,
1: Lori. Great to be spending time with you today.
0: Let's focus on the things that are top of mind for business owners. What do you hear most often?
1: So what we hear most, the three top things that are on the minds of our business owner clients when we first meet them is first recruiting, but more importantly, to retain top talent, how to manage the IRS tax fight, and how to get money out of their business to help them secure a carefree retirement.
0: Yeah, those are really common things, especially with the quiet quitting. It's a big topic and the work environment's changing so much. So there's no doubt that business owners are worried about the economy. They're worried about their people being happy. They want to retain. They want to grow. And they're worried about the dynamics of the financial system and what's happening with interest rates. It's weighing in a lot of people's mind, I think, particularly around this idea of financial security going forward. It's a, it's a big time of uncertainty, don't you think?
1: Absolutely. And with many of our business owner baby boomers reaching ages where they're starting to finally think about retirement, you know, things have changed. The dynamic has shifted. Years ago, someone would say, I'm going out feet first. Now you hear people saying, I wonder what the next phase of my life is going to look like outside of my business.
0: You work with a lot of business owners. Tell me a little bit about that. What is the dynamic of how you work with business owners and in your practice? Just give a little bit of background.
1: Yeah. So, you know, financial planning for a business owner encompasses a whole realm of considerations. One of them is most of our clients, the majority of their wealth is tied up in their business. So working with them to help them coordinate both their personal objectives alongside and coordinate with their business objectives is one of the things that we most often experience in a relationship with our clients. That's where exit and succession planning end up coming in, because in its purest sense, succession planning really is retirement and legacy planning. So we find that, you know, when we work with what's on their minds, we end up working on how to coordinate both of them to make sure that we're putting them in a situation to tee them up for success, even after they exit their business. The New York Times article that
0: came out in in March was a good article to talk about broad strokes and I don't know if anyone's read it who's listening or just in high level, people are thinking about the best way to exit. And when should they exit? That was really the premise. And they gave some examples. I'll put a link to the article in, in the show notes. And there's lots of articles out there and there's no exact timing. There's no exact way to do it. There's no one way to do it. You see it all in your examples of working with clients. What do you think are some of the best ways to exit in your experience?
1: It's interesting, Lori. It's different for everybody. And, and that's what makes exit and succession planning so exciting is that every single situation is unique. And you know some people have family members in the business, but also family members out of the business. You have key employees that have been there since college or you recently hired someone that's a key member of the team that's really taking your company by storm and doing a great job. And in today's space, right, we find so often the desire to explore selling to an outsider with private equity groups actively and aggressively pursuing businesses for growth. You know, there are so many different ways. And we find that often we find some combination as the best solution for certain situations. So, you know, a gift or a transition to family, an internal transition to key employees or key performers and a family member, a sale to an outsider or a combination thereof. Our primary goal is how to help the owner experience a smooth and orderly transition, regardless of the method that works best for them. And what are your, takeaways from
0: these methods? Do you think that it's a 10-year process, a 20-year process, five years? What if people are running out of time?
1: So, you know, every situation is different, as you know, and I think that it's never too early to have a succession plan because there are life events that happen, premature death or disability, that without a succession plan can create a fire cell, something that no owner wants to experience. But for someone looking at their business, trying to either drive profit so that they can sell and get a nice multiple to an, and sell to an outsider, or an internal transition on how to have the book value work best and still provide an earn out or cash flow to the owner. As we work through that, I believe that a sweet spot for succession planning is somewhere between 5 to 7 years. Now, that's changed a little bit. With the pandemic, it kind of changed our thought process a little bit that maybe closer to 7 years rather than 5 to 7, but that doesn't mean we don't have situations where, you know, something happened, there's a family event or a life event that we have to quickly get things together and maybe only have nine months to a year to make something happen. And we still look for creative ideas and help our clients find ways to best get the most tax-efficient money out of their business when they're trying to monetize. Tax
0: efficiency. Let's talk about this IRS tax bite. You mentioned it in the top three things earlier. What do business owners need to be thinking about to minimize this tax bite?
1: Yeah. So, you know, when we look at taxes and we look at revenue and cash flow, more often than not, it's not what you make. It's what you get to keep of what you make that really matters. And, you know, there are many different avenues that our clients get year end tax planning where they run out and buy a whole bunch of equipment because they know they can use it someday rather than writing the check to the Uncle Sam. And then in many cases, we have you know the self-employed pension, the set plan for you know your one or two man employee shop, man or woman, really. And then you know, you look at simple IRA, which is a low-cost way to have some type of retirement plan for an employer, or the 401k with either safe harbor or profit sharing, discretionary or mandatory. So those are some of the typical ways that most of our clients find ways to either defer money before taxes or to make big purchases to reduce taxation. But that doesn't always work. The big purchase at the end of the year, it doesn't always work when you're trying to sell your business in a few years, because now you're reducing your profit, which is going to reduce what it looks like you're gonna be worth to an outside buyer. So there's a very, very delicate balance there. That your whole advisory team, including someone like me, someone like you, Lori, the CPA, and the attorney, working on all of it together to determine the best combination method and giving that proactive advice to make sure that you're not shooting yourself in the foot by buying three or four great big pieces of equipment, writing them all off in one year, and going from there. One of the options that we have found that is working very, very well for our clients that they don't typically get advice on is a bolt on to a 401k or a standalone cash balance plan. So a cash balance plan is a defined benefit plan. And if structured properly for the right company and the right owner can really, really take huge advantage of how this plan works to be able to pay yourself first and put more money away before tax, but at the same time, helping your employees because you're giving a value add that's a little different than what most employers provide.
0: I don't know a lot about this plan. We haven't talked about it on the show. You and I talked about it off air. This is called a cash balance plan, correct? Yep. Okay, so this is kind of a big deal. I think we should dive in a little bit deeper. Okay. Can you give us a little more of a flavor or some examples of how it's worked for
1: some of your clients? Sure. So, you know, let's first talk a little bit about what it is, right? It allows the owner the ability to put away more money pre tax each year than would a traditional retirement plan. The cash balance portion of a plan, because it is a design, It's a defined benefit plan that in conjunction with a traditional 401k will use factors to exponentially increase the allowable deductible contributions. And then when we do business owner planning with our clients, we often do this valuation study that comes with a cash balance plan to determine whether or not it makes sense. So that is, you need a third-party administrator coordinating with someone like us to determine whether or not it's a good fit for that particular business. And so talk a little bit about what are the dynamics for
0: people who are in the plan or leave the plan? You know, there's always ins and outs of all of that. Sure. How do you end a plan? Like, what are some of the mechanics of this that if someone's thinking, oh, wait, this could be interesting? for us to, to put more into savings and help our employees, but, and even the math, like how, do, how does this work or what's the nest egg that they could
1: benefit from? Okay, so a 401k is a defined contribution plan, meaning that you put money in, there's gonna be a match more often than not, maybe some profit sharing and it the underlying assets in the plan are professionally managed investments, right? And so it's a defined contribution. You know what you can put in, what your match is going to be, but it's undetermined what it's going to be worth in the future because what we're defining in the plan document is what the contributions will be. In a cash balance plan, it works the opposite. It's a defined benefit plan. So factors like age of the owner and or spouse, if they work in the business, and then the rank and file employees. Using factors related to age, time horizon to retirement and what the average earnings of the business is or, you know, a forecasted earnings, the third party administrator does a calculation, a valuation study that will determine how much can be put in. And I'll use an example. We have a client that are they're in their 50s, husband and wife both work there. They have a 401k with profit sharing and they have six employees. Because the owners are a little bit older and closer to retirement, the plan works in their favor because they are the highest compensated employees in the business. So in their situation, they were able to defer 200 and some thousand and give away 30000 So they benefited 90% of the check that they wrote for this plan. They benefited before tax in a 37% tax bracket. They saved $100,000 in taxes. They gave away 30 on a vesting schedule. The employees just don't have access to this money. It's just like any other, like a 401k, where you have a vesting schedule that you determine. So if they leave, prematurely, they will forfeit part of the contributions that were made on their behalf. But every year we go through this valuation study based on what the financials look like at the end of the year, and then determine what the maximum contribution can be for that year.
0: Who is your most important customer? The person who buys your business. Stony Hill Advisors works with owners to maximize the value when you're ready to sell. Get started today with a business valuation by visiting stonyhilladvisors.com/podcast. I want to go back to legacy planning. Okay. We do talk about this topic a lot on the show. Mm-hmm. and there's different goals that a family may have to transition to the children, transition to siblings, The larger the family becomes, it can be more complex, especially if there's blended families, which you mentioned before. And this is their biggest asset. And I talk with a lot of clients about options. I think it's good to create options. And when time is on your side, you have more time to effectuate a plan Mm -hmm. and decide a path forward. But this can be very emotional. This is not an easy thing to do, especially if... The next generation is not well-suited to be in the business. So you might have people that are operators. I was just talking to a brother. His other brother is out of the business. He's in the business. He's active. He wants to buy it from the parents, but it's very fraught with emotion that there's disagreement potentially between the two brothers and what they believe they each should have in terms of the transition. So what's the upshot? What's the question? I guess the question to you is, in your practice, when you are working with business owners and you can feel the emotion in the room, how do you start the conversation about their vision, if it's the parents or, you know, whoever you're speaking with, how do you get them to shape out a vision for their legacy
1: and start to work through some of these challenging dynamics? So it's interesting that you say that, Lori, because as you're telling the example, all of my emotions are like all over the place, right? Because we're in this situation often. And in our practice, we actually go through what we call emotional intelligence training, because it is complicated. Families don't look like what they used to before. It's not the cleavers where you have the mom and the dad and the two kids. I mean, you have blended families, you have you know, special needs. I mean, with with the epidemic of adult children, and and more are coming that are on the spectrum, or emotional disorders, or substance abuse disorders. On top of some children well suited to be in the business, and some just aren't. So you know, we go through a defined process where we empower our business only owner families to share with us what keeps them up at night. And we find the best way for them to share that information. Sometimes it's the husband and wife both in the room. Sometimes they each want their own session and that's fine. We need to help them figure out the safe space to talk about what keeps them up and their worries because their business is their largest asset. And it's so important that we dig down deep and figure these things out so we, as the advisors come up with the creative design ideas so that they move forward with clarity and confidence and without this unknown monkey in the room that they were afraid to talk about. Often, if they don't talk about it prior to, even with the greatest deal, it's gonna fall through at the 11th hour. And that happens so often. So we try to make sure that we're proactive And we do ask those questions. And it's interesting because when we go through the four key areas of personal planning, which is retirement planning, estate planning, investment planning, or succession planning, the minute they say succession, retirement, or estate, it helps us dig into that just a little bit deeper. Tell me about your family, husband, wife, daughter, daughter daughter-in-law, son-in-law, are they in-laws or outlaws? That simple question can develop into a huge conversation that helps us be better informed so that we can eventually bring better ideas to the table.
0: Yeah. In-laws or outlaws. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you have to kind of put that in quotes, like they're not literally in jail, but uh, that's right. relationships are strained. That's right. The other thing that comes to mind from the New York Times article was the use of insurance. And you didn't mention it in your earlier comments. I just wanted to bring it up because I know you do work as a a registered insurance advisor. And what one of the families had encountered in that article was that the, the child who was working in the business was being gifted shares of the company, whereas another child was written into an insurance policy so that mm-hmm. if and when the parents pass away, that some wealth will transfer to the other child, but in a different way. You and I have talked a little bit about the power of insurance. It's it's not something you can necessarily say is a fit for for everything. I know that, but maybe you could share and again some examples of what you've seen or how insurance can help in these situations.
1: Absolutely, insurance is the what we call the great equalizer and you know to have a child in the business and a child not in the business you're right having insurance to benefit the child not in the business equalizes their inheritance but let's take it a step further let's talk about a blended family right you have children in the business the spouse owned the business prior to the marriage and now you have the new spouse that's living this lifestyle and the children may not want Dad's second wife in the business. That happens all the time. Well, having insurance structured properly to benefit the wife allows her to not even need to be in the business to sustain the standard of living that she's come accustomed to. So there are so many things, but but you know, one thing that's really important when considering insurance, it's not just running out there and grabbing insurance because insurance also, you know, it helps equalize for partners, but If not structured properly, insurance becomes part of your taxable estate. And it's so important to work with an insurance professional. And most financial planners, certified financial planners, are insurance professionals as well. Because not structuring it properly can create a whole other set of issues after a death, which is the most stressful time for a family in the first place. So really working with someone who understands how to properly design it. It's also a way to help key employees buy into the business. There are so many different uses of insurance or golden handcuffs. Some of our business owners want to take care of some of their key employees and they put insurance policies on them that help benefit their families, but the insurance that the business owner can recover part of the premium that they pay or not if they choose not to. There are so many reasons that insurance becomes a very viable planning tool. But remember, a lot of people say, I don't believe in insurance, it's not a religion, it's just a tool. And if it's used effectively, it can help solve a lot of the problems in a succession situation. But if used ineffectively, it can be your worst nightmare. So it's really important that it's structured properly.
0: Yeah, and it's probably worth noting, you know, you and I today have been talking a lot about transition to the next generation and keeping it within the family. But if insurance policies can also be a tool and the planning process just in general for the whole conversation, not just this insurance piece of it, but the whole idea about proactive planning and how to think about the tax implications is good for owners when they want to sell to a third party also. So I don't want listeners to think, oh, this is only if I'm going to transition to my family. I think it's also very useful for the conversations around management, you know, selling to a third party or Mm -hmm. selling, you know, shares and gifting shares, whatever the methodology is going to be to transition it to management. And and the insurance is going to be super helpful because the buyers are going to want to know that, let's say it's a, a private equity group or a strategic company who's going to acquire the business. They want to know that the management team is intact and, and ready to, to move over. And so the golden handcuff phrase right. that you used
1: is really important, right? These incentives to stay. That's right. We we have a company that we work with. This is a fun example that we had done golden handcuff policies about seven years ago for their young management team. So it was inexpensive. They were putting six and 8,000, depending on the positions, away a year for each of these employees and we used a loan regime that if they left prematurely they would owe the money back, which was fine. They, they were happy to have the insurance, it builds cash value. Well, one of their key people has been approached every single year for the last three years by competition and he cannot walk away from the cash value. He has a 15-year agreement before it's fully vested. That's the nice part about insurance. You don't have ERISA rules in there and things like that. And he just cannot walk away because the cash value keeps growing and that's money he would be taking away from his family. So it's funny, we have the review every year or they'll call and say, hey, you need to have a talk with him. He needs to understand what he's giving up because we have a feeling he's being talked to again. And it really does work. So, So it's kind of fun to see it in action. And, yeah. you know, an insurance is triple net tax-free if it's designed appropriately. So so that's also an important consideration.
0: Yeah. Well, let's wind down and, and kind of begin where we started. I asked you this high-level question about what's on top of mind for business owners today. Mm-hmm. And we've spent a lot of time talking about how to minimize tax implications and, but really this bigger picture of legacy. So if you were going to summarize mm-hmm. for business owners who are listening and say, hey, here's three things that are very actionable.
1: What would you say as advice? What should they start doing right now? Well, I think the first thing is engaging with a planner, understanding the coordination between personal and business planning. The two together are critically important to be done together. That's the most important thing. And, you know, exploring the different ways how to most tax effectively get money out of your business onto your personal balance sheet. That's very, very important. And we find that top of mind all the time. There are 13 ways to get money out of your business. And then lastly is ensuring that your business succession plan coordinates with your personal retirement plan and your legacy plan to help you take care of yourselves, your family for now and also into the future. Awesome. Regina, I ask everybody
0: if they have a favorite quote, something that inspires you as a leader, as an entrepreneur, someone who works with entrepreneurs, is there anything top of mind for you?
1: Well, you know, there are so many because they're, again, all the top of mind and everything else. But for me, I feel like it's more what we try to do. I feel like if you help take care of your clients and who and what they care about, right? Who and what they love that you will always feel good that you're doing a good job. And that's what we try to do. We, ha- we want our business owner families to know that they're taken care of, but also their families and their employees.
0: And if people want to follow up to get in touch and learn more, what's the best way to find
1: you? Okay, our website is distinctivewealthstrategies.com or email regina.baity, like Warren Beatty, B-E-A-T-T-Y at Ellis and Larry, F is and Frank, G is and Girl.com.
0: Awesome. And we'll put that in the show notes, of course. Perfect. Regina, thank you so much for being on the show with me today. It was a pleasure speaking with you and I look forward to more conversations together. That's awesome. Lori, it was a pleasure as well. To the listeners, thank you so much. Be sure to follow Succession Stories in your favorite podcast player and on YouTube to maximize value of your business and plan for future transition. Reach out to me for a complimentary assessment at meetlauriebarkman.com. Join me next time on Succession Stories for more insights from transition to transaction. I hope that today's episode resonated with you. What actions will you take as a result? If you want to grow, sell, or transition your business, our strategic transition planning process provides clarity and objectivity on the big questions that may be weighing on your mind. Make an intention and take the next step. Set up a complimentary consultation with me to discuss your goals at thebusinesstransitionsherpa.com. That's thebusinesstransitionsherpa.com.